episode 163 of Eventually Super Train. Hello everyone, I'm Dan. I'm your main host for this show. First episode of 2024. And we are starting off with, well, first off, um, how are you? How are your holidays? How's the new year been so far? I hope everything's going okay. This is going up in the first half of February. So hopefully everything's um, going okay for you. And hopefully we'll have a good 2024, fingers crossed. Anyway. Where is Max Headroom, you all ask? Tim S. Turner will be back. Uh, he finished. We finished season one in the last episode, so we're on hiatus this one, and he'll be back in 164 with season two, episode one. But this episode begins with episode 11 of Monster Squad, The Weatherman, and the first episode of a brand new old show, which I hope you will enjoy. We got a brand new host that, who I also hope you will enjoy. I won't give any more of that away. In fact, I'm just going to dive right in to Monster Squad. Here's a little bit of the... Th- oh, there are a couple audio issues here and there in this episode. And um, uh, I, I bring that up here in case you, you, you encounter them. You you can say, oh, well, Dan mentioned that. If you don't encounter them, hopefully you forgot that I just said this. So we're going to dive right in a little bit of Monster Squad action. Here we go. <laughs> All right, here we are, the first segment of 2024, Monster Squad, episode 11, November 20th, 1976, written by Bruce Shelley, directed by Herman Hoffman, The Weatherman. Herman Hoffman, I know, directed several um, Batmans and had been around for a while, which is odd because you think, um, having seen his name on several Batmans, he'd uh, he'd be really good sort of with the fun and the fight scene in the end, but those must have been second unit things because the fight scene in the end is... is, um, is a little awkward, but we'll we'll get to that when we get to that. But yeah, Avery Schreiber, the great Avery Schreiber, plays um the weatherman with um a nice suit on and an enormous belly. I don't remember Avery Schreiber's belly being that big. And um and a and a hat with icicles hanging off of it. And he's got two uh hench persons, uh, Snow and Frost, Phoebe Snow and David Frost, and they're they've taken over well let, let me they've basically they've taken over government institution uh, that does weather control and He's controlling the weather, and he has a, a thing. It's not called a blunderbuss. I forget exactly what it's called, but it looks like a blunderbuss. But it fires some um, frozen stuff, and freezes. He freezes everyone on the way into the weather government weather station, and then takes control of it. We'll talk about um, the slight confusion behind what the weatherman is, what he's up to, that kind of thing. Because the only weather he seems to do is snow, right? And so. I'll get to that in a minute. Let me give you some sound clips first. We, we start off this episode with uh, the guys in the Wax Museum, and um, Walt comes down covered in snow, and he activates everyone. And Frank seems okay, um, but both Drac and um, Bruce, uh, our Wolfman friends, seem very chilly. And uh, let me let me play you a little bit of this as they're stepping off of the pedestals. Can't you guys hurry? Gee, Walt, you really look weird. This is July, and you look just like a snowman. <laughs> and I would say that I am an icicle. <laughs> Wax museums should be air-conditioned. But this is carrying a good thing too far. Gentlemen, brace yourself for some shivering news. 
This entire metropolis is buried in snow. Don't make foolish jokes, Walt. This is July 4th, not April 1st. Frank, it's no joke. It's a disaster. The whole city is frozen to a standstill. Here, look out the window. That is genuine snow, all right. Take it from an expert. Something very unnatural is going on. Well, Squat, whatever it is, we can't allow it to continue. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to call the Weather Bureau. Why? Uh, they've got to have some explanation, Jack. That's their responsibility. All I'm getting is a busy signal. The whole city must be trying to call. It's almost time for Dr. Fishland's weather report. Squad, get down to the TV station and investigate it personally. So they're sent to the local TV station where Weatherman is there, and um, uh, they get, and this, this, is, this is very uh, charming, the, the Weatherman is doing his weather thing in front of some flats, with, there's a desk and lots of weathery looking things, and as he's doing, um, you'll hear another uh, newscaster comes in with a tape recorder and plays the Weatherman's um, uh, things, but as, as you, 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 the first shot you see is from behind the camera, and the crew, and you see the the weatherman doing his thing, and he's all lit up. The cameraman and the crew are in darkness, and it's great because you see like the camera operator and the boom operator, and um, then you see like um, three people sort of sitting in like director's chairs watching it. And it isn't until you you sort of do a reverse shot from where the weatherman is, and you see the monster squad, you realize they're the ones sitting in the director's chair, which is pretty interesting. The fact that they would let you know these three wax monsters come in and sit and watch this thing during an, a national emergency I, I quite like it also uh, begs the question at the the uh, of how exactly well known the monster squad are because when you see them here they're presented almost like like batman and robin would be right like if batman and robin should, well let me let me play the clip let me play the clip here's the here's the clip here's the weatherman uh, the, the, not the weatherman the bad guy the weatherman as in the weatherman at the local radio station i think he's like Dr. Fishtail or something like that, and then the newscaster comes in. So listen to this. We interrupt anything and everything to bring you this special urgent announcement from the President of the United States concerning our national snow emergency. Fifteen minutes ago, a tape-recorded ultimatum containing a horrifying threat was received at the White House from a villainous person. He calls himself the Weatherman. Now here is that tape-recorded announcement. As you poor peasants shiver pitifully beneath my beautiful blanket of man-made snow, your little brains should grasp the fantastic fact that I can control your climate and that you must do exactly as I wish or I will freeze you and flood you out of existence. Unless you go to the polls immediately and vote me as your permanent ruler, I shall storm you into ruin! According to the President, the Congress, and the Supreme Court, we have no other choice. They all urgently request that every citizen slog to the polls and elect the weatherman, our new president. They will then resign and step down to save our nation. Now, back to our regular program. So there is this uh, kind of cool feeling here of that they seem to have let the Monster Squad in to watch the weather report being done. And uh, with without any knowledge that a newscaster was to come and do the weatherman thing, which is just helpful plotting device keeps things moving along. We only have 24 minutes, and this is technically made for kids. Uh, hopped up on all sorts of, of sugary 1976 cereals, which were you know the best kind of cereals, I think. 
the the fact that they let the Monster Squad in there and sit there is is interesting to me because throughout the series there's the question of like what how well do they know the Monster Squad? I mean, in, in some episodes it's it's these they kind of sneak in and and save the day and then go, and then in others they're they're um. The, the mayor seems to know who they are at one point, and then they're given sort of a, a scroll with their name on it, but then it's also implied that they don't, the, when stuff like, like they're being given accolades and stuff, people don't really know who they are. And this episode, it starts off with them sitting there in director's chairs, in point, point, sort of a pride of place kind of right there in front of the set watching what's happening with the with the um the 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 newscasters there and yet in the end when they save the day there's the the same um emergency newscaster comes on and says that the president would like to thank whoever it was who helped but uh they don't know they kind of appeared save the day and then left and i thought what's the monster squad right do we know not know who the monster squad is so it's uh, it's it's funny because having Herman Hoffman, who directed Batman's in this, and of course, obviously Stanley Ralph Ross developed it, and and the name of the um, the uh, the the government installation is like as the S. Ralph Ross base or something like that. I shall I'll see that in a minute when I, I'll, I'll yell out. I've got the episode playing here. I'll yell out as soon as I see that. Alongside the fact that the the villain, although he's called the Weatherman, doesn't use just uses snow and ice. Uh, makes you think it, it's, so it's weird it almost makes you think I know this is not this was not as far as I know a Batman related thing but it feels very Batman like I mean right I mean the ba- you know the way they're allowed to watch the newscast is the way Batman and Robin would have been let in in Gotham uh, having Herman Hoffman direct it you know, as Ralph Ross uh, the fact that the um uh, the the fact that during the the fight scene before the goofy sort of um the goofy part of the fight scene there's actually a bit where frank punches a guy he i mean he doesn't like give like wind up his fist and but the guy but but when frost is rushing at him he clocks him in the side of the head and i don't think we've have we had an actual like proper like full-on punch i mean that is not that is not frost swinging at frank and frank pushing him away or stepping out of the way and he bumps into him no frank gives him a full-on clock to the side of the head which again is very batman like and of course the fact that the the weatherman only uses snow and frost makes him seem like mr freeze to me he, he you know he could be he could be Mr. basically that's what he is he says he's a weatherman but he's he just uses snow and 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 frost and it, it's weird that i mean it is presented as being july but it, it's and and it's it's also uh we learned by the end that the, like the whole of the country has more or less voted him in as our president dictator that's funny to think right that a president someone who wants to be president of the united states would also want to be a dictator it's also funny to think that there would be people who would you know willingly vote for that <laughs> ah anyway uh but they but but it's weird that like the whole U.S. would would vote. I mean, I mean, I mean, I could see like I mean, it's implied right that we're in California, so that's why um, people where the Monster Squad with the Wax Museum are, are are worried. I don't understand exactly how um how um wax figures would be bothered by the cold. Like Frank doesn't seem to be bothered by the cold, although when they all storm the um the S. Ross base uh, about halfway through the episode, and Phoebe Snow there is at the at the front desk. Uh, what is it um they all have fur coats on and um bruce has snowshoes on and drac has skis but frank doesn't frank doesn't seem particularly frank doesn't seem particularly bothered by the cold whereas dracula and the wolfman would be but then dracula of course is is 
dead and the wolfman is covered with fur so it's, it's a little strange i get what they're doing but it does it does seem a little strange that they would be affected by the cold you think they would be you think that would make them more interesting right that like like you you, you would think that would be something more interesting like when they but but they are trying to be under disguise like um if if they strolled into the base and and they just strolled in in their regular outfits you know it's like um the seeds of doom doctor who story i know I, i'm always bringing up seeds of doom doctor who uh, doctor who stories but forgive me but seeds of doom i think aired in 1976 and in it the, the doctor at points goes to the uh, it goes to the antarctic with sarah jane and when they arrive at the base sarah jane is all bundled up and she's all wrapped up and the doctor's just in his regular coat hat and scarf and like you must be cold no i'm not can we get down to business it and so you see when they when they enter the base they're all bundled up but you see that frank is the only one who doesn't need to be bundled up the other ones seem to need to be bundled up which i don't fully understand although maybe it's some sort of um psychosomatic kind of thing you know where it's it's like they're they're not really cold but because it's snowy and they can feel that it's cold they're affected by it even though they're not really affected by it but why would dracula be affected by it he's 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 the undead you know you don't see, see a lot of zombies dressing up for the cold you don't see a lot of winter zombies i guess you do not as many as you'd think right i guess you do i've never seen the walking dead i imagine there are wintry um episodes in that but anyway, the, the, yeah, the weird thing about the episode is that if the weatherman could be Mr. Freeze and the way they allow um, the Monster Squad to watch the newscast without making any reference to it is very much what they would have done with Batman. And the fact that there's an actual punch is, is very much like a Batman kind of thing. The rest of it isn't very Batman-y. Um, I, I do like that... Um, Frank's character is kind of all over the place, right, in these episodes. And some of them he's really dumb. But in this one, he's not dumb. He 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 um, he he has a couple lines where he's. I could tell now that this isn't going to be um, smooth sledding or something like that. Or, or um, I, I forget what he is. But he uses sort of cliched lines, um, variations of them, but not as bad as um, Drax joke at the end, where everyone everyone laughs. Hey, you always put this on a pedestal, <laughs> and everyone laughs. But Frank gives him a look like no. No, Drac, that's not the way you do that. So I like that Frank isn't dumb in this one. He's actually pretty um, pretty smart. You know, when he's asked his birthplace, he gives a series of, names a series of American cities where his body parts were taken from. So I like the fact that this Frankenstein monster is not the original Frankenstein monster who would have been assembled out of people in um, Bavaria. Where, where were they at? Transylvania? I don't know, wherever. Germany? Um you know, somewhere, somewhere in in Europe, this this is a different Frankenstein monster, assembled by one of the relatives, no doubt, in uh, somewhere in the U.S. And yeah, Bruce gets some great stuff in this one. Drag, drag, drag gets some decent stuff here. He's kind of slightly flirty with with Phoebe Snow there. Um, it's not quite working. She seems pretty um, she seems pretty um uh, bureaucratic when she's put in charge of the the secretarial desk. Uh, I I do like the fact that um. Uh, so we get, so we get, yeah, Snow and Frost, the two henchmen, all dressed up in these like skin tight silver body outfits. That actually kind of, I think I wore one of those one year when I was a spaceman, when I was a kid at Christmas, at Christmas, at Halloween. Hell, probably Christmas too. You know me, I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do to have fun at Christmas. Um, but, uh, Snow, Snow and Frost also have, they have at least two, I think possibly three, like, volunteers on the phones. I'm not 100% sure what they're doing on the phones. It, it, it presents itself as being looking like a telethon. But if, if they're actually having people, I guess they're tallying votes, they're, they're checking votes from around the country. Because the, the um, I, I like the weatherman because 
all he seems to have really done is invented a freeze gun and he got himself into here and he's going to take over the country because he controls this base i don't fully i don't fully understand why um the government hasn't sent anyone in to take back the base i don't fully because he just has the one gun it's not he says at one point i think that he just has one gun so so and and frank frank eats it at the end of the episode so it's a, so it's kind of a weird villain because it seems like maybe it was like a holiday weekend or something and the, they were understaffed at the base and, and this, this guy took over the base I mean it's like doesn't I mean this is the uh, again Doctor Who like the seeds of death right the ice warriors in season 6 they take over a weather base to try to um, uh, stop it from raining so they can send their seed pods down which will poison the atmosphere of the earth and this is it's a similar thing a, a, a crazy guy with two goofy henchmen and apparently three volunteers take over a weather base and I like the fact that like he really doesn't um, like the weather could like the, the other villains in here they they have like um, they have their machines they have their powers they have the Mr. Mephisto is, is you know um, hypnotizing everyone and you know the skull has this big electronic rig that he's created to bring mummy King Toot there, there back to life but in this one really the weatherman has two henchmen a funny outfit and a freeze gun all the weather control he does is actually uh, from a weather government weather base it's it's nothing to do it's nothing to do with him he basically takes over at the s ralph ross research facility and yes the entrance to the research facility is the same entrance that we see in all the other places in the madison round garden and that cookie place from a few episodes ago it's that main window that has something written on it usually and then like a like a door with a handle it's it's sort of in like an ent- small entrance office way and it um, doesn't look like much of a government research facility. It's just like two doors that you push open. And, and um, yeah, it looks more like the entranceway to a, like a bakery or a, or a coffee or a cookie cookie shop or something like that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, obviously it's meant to be, it was the kind of thing that as a kid you would have watched once, twice, three, maybe four times, then never seen again. Uh, so we're really not meant to sit and watch this the way I'm watching this on DVD right now, um, because yeah, it doesn't I, I? I mean, I do like the fact that this is a villain who has a freeze gun, but everything else they have is stuff that they've sort of taken control of from other people. So it's not like they're they're one of those villains who they don't have. Um, a, a big setup and a big things they've invented or created. They they create a free and I I would bet you cash money if if the weatherman returned we'd learn that it wasn't his freeze gun. I bet we'd learn that he probably stole the freeze gun from a scientist or something. And so I stole a freeze gun from a scientist and then I broke into the government weather control facility and then made it snow everywhere. Now why people who lived in um, climates where it snowed a lot would be bothered by it snowing in July I'm not 100% sure. I mean if it you know there are some spots up north where it stays cold a lot and so to have it snow in july would seem to be more of an inconvenience than something where oh i'll vote for a dictator unless you're already inclined to vote for a dictator then um that's just your excuse right walt doesn't do a lot in this episode he's in the opening scene uh they contact him a few times and he's in the closing scene uh the the uh there's a great um i do wonder why um when Frank is is relating all the different uh, cities his body parts are from, why they haven't made his hands green, uh, why they, why they chose not to green up his hands, maybe that's something to do with the cold, I don't know. And, but uh, yeah, yeah, Walt doesn't do a lot. I do like how as the episode goes along, there is a real sense of like 
danger and doom for this that this guy is just going to freeze the whole country and the moment he freezes Bruce and then very delightfully declares that he's not sure what he should do should he should he uh you know should he you know like smash Bruce into a million pieces should he just knock Bruce over so he shatters into a million pieces I like the concept that that Bruce uses Morse code through his teeth which goes over his communicator and Walt picks it up and and Bruce basically says that you know he's pretty much done for he's pretty much you know he's he's frozen solid you know unless you can get to him soon I I, I like the 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 implication being that if you don't get to him soon he's gonna freeze solid he's gonna be dead so you need to get him soon you need to thaw him out quickly and if you don't um, then Bruce is gone and um, and the, I, I like too that when Frank and Drac find this out there's no more screwing around they storm in there they get in a fight they win the day and I like that Drac that I like how how assertive Frank is when he finds out that his good friend Bruce is close to death because of this this gross little man and his gross little people in their silver jumpsuits trying to take over the earth like like a bunch of jerks I, I like the fact that that Frank is having none of it Drac is having none of it too but Frank is very much right there and the way he just grabs the blunder bus or whatever the heck it's called and eats it um I really like I don't, I mean, the the Weatherman is mostly a silly villain, but the fact that he has this, this gun that can freeze people solid, and the fact that he has to take control of the weather does make him um, more of an immediate threat than a lot of the other villains we've had in here who are planning something, who are about to do something. He's already done it and has affected the entire nation. And he's clearly, when you hear him, he's clearly just an egotistical jerk. He he wants to rule the world because he he's not he you know why why should he only have to rule one country and he wants a hundred percent of the votes to be for him because why shouldn't someone vote for him? So he's kind of just as crazy. Like I said, he's probably a nut who got control of this this freeze gun from someone else and now he's doing this 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 awful stuff. And again, I I like the way that. Um, I like the way Frank gets when he finds out Bruce has been um, frozen and could be in danger of dying. Uh, I, I like that. And I, I think that's probably why Frank punches Frost, right? Because there's something um, a little flippant about the weatherman and, and Snow and Frost and the bureaucratic way that Snow treats them. And the moment they're like, okay, all bets are off, there's going to be a punch thrown. And that's what happens. Um, it's too bad that some of the... Um, it's it's weird like when 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 some some of the uh, the action and stuff is is kind of sloppily sloppily done so there's the bit where uh frost and there's a fun bit where frost and and the weatherman are throwing snowballs at drac and frank who are hiding behind the big weather control um thing um control unit and they're popping up their heads and they're throwing the balls and trying to hit them with the ball you know like the you know like um uh like a carnival game there's carnival music playing and they keep their heads bob beneath and then they pop up and they throw the snowball and they bob beneath and they miss them and that kind of thing and it, it's fun to see when the camera is behind the weatherman and frost and they're throwing the balls and the guys are ducking and things like that but there's a bit in there where like the camera is off to a weird angle and instead of like looking instead of watching you'll know it when you see it because um, when they start throwing the balls the camera is like to the the right as we're looking at it of the computer console and kind of like turn towards it it's not facing everyone like like a carnival game it's not it's not facing them as they're throwing stuff to the things in the background it's kind of like you can't really see 
the weatherman and you'll know it when you see it because you're like you'll think like this is awkward so it's like it's like we're we're watching them we're watching this this fun little setup from the wrong angle it's been shot from the wrong angle and instead of someone saying oh we shouldn't be off to one side like looking at them from from to the to the left sort of we should be facing them straight on the the cameras and it it doesn't work and in fact i want to say that's kind of how it begins and it ends up you kind of sit there watching it's one of those things where the music is playing and you're it's a bad camera angle and you're seeing frank with a big smile on his face and dracula keeps ducking but they don't seem to be throwing anything at frank for a while then frank finally ducks when something gets thrown at him and you're watching from that angle and you're thinking oh this is what they're doing rather than rather than and then when it cuts to the proper angle, you're like, okay, I get what they're doing. But it, but it, it's weird because like they're they're doing something kind of fun, but since they're showing it from the wrong angle, the viewer, at least me, like I had to say like, oh, I see what they're doing. And then when they cut to the right angle, you're like, okay, that's what they're doing. Why didn't they show that angle first? It should have been on that angle. Then they could have cut to the secondary angle just for a fun, like different view of what was going on. But they sort of, they sort of that's the main focus when it starts and it's like that's a bad angle you, you'll know it when you see it um because it comes up okay it's about 20 40 20 minutes 45 seconds into it and it, it actually begins with a shot behind them where they're throwing stuff at drac and frank um and the music starts playing but the thing is i, I it, it's not on there long enough and not enough stuff has happened and it, it's kind of it looks a bit awkward and then you you see that for a split second you go oh and then it cuts to the other angle and you're like why do we cut to this angle and why are we spending more time on this angle the the the, the angle where we're looking at the backs of the weatherman and frost and and you know the 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 computer consoles in the background drac and frank are bobbing up and down and having fun with it that's the main angle but we only see that briefly before it cuts to the I, I would call the bad angle and you're like watching the bad angle going go back to the regular angle we haven't they haven't fully set it up correctly yet to make us go ah okay at least that's what i'm thinking as i'm watching it it's just a bad it's a bad choice to cut away at that point um maybe it was all awkward it does look slightly awkward it looks like um it looks like they sort of maybe they did like did it all in one take and didn't have time to plan anything because it looks the whole thing looks like maybe it was shot with two cameras. It could probably was shot with two cameras, I would bet. Um, but it looks it looks just kind of awkward. And it's one of those things where um, you you kind of appreciate what they're doing more than what they've actually done. And I do see like when they change the angle, Bruce is sort of in the foreground in the bottom right, and it's kind of diagonal from the bottom bottom um, uh, sort of the bottom right out uh you see kind of bruce and then and then the, the monsters um i do like the bit where they're all um they're all behind the weather control console and they're fighting and you can't see them but there are all sorts of balls flying up in the air the snowballs flying up in the air and there are all the balloons everywhere and they keep like leaping up into the air and then falling down and then leaping out from one side and then going back under i do like that that's classic goofy fight and that, that's done pretty good again um they don't seem to get the best angles on that. Some of the angles head-on um, are too far away, and that that side angle that that is still not a great angle. That's like a bad angle that they keep choosing again and again. So so it's really weird. I'm not I'm not sure if it's like maybe someone said, okay, well you can have Frank punch the guy, but then we have to um, 
you know, uh, we're going to have to have you shoot some bad angles on the um, wacky snowball fight and the, and the battle behind the, the console because we don't want it to look violent. Because it does hurt me. Like I said, Herman Hoffman direct, I directed several Batmans. And um, uh, they, I guess the, I guess those were second unit fights a lot of the times on there because uh, they would use stunt people. But but here, yeah, that... that um, the the fight is just is for for being I think I think it's a darn good episode of the show and I think there is a feeling of kind of worry and doom in it, but uh, that fight is awkward awkward as heck it it really is just awkward to watch and it's like the ca- yeah the camera is even when the camera is right behind them it it, it doesn't it doesn't feel like um, Frank and Drac have sort of they it feels like no one's sort of worked out when we're going to throw snowballs and when we're not because it doesn't it doesn't there's no um. It's just one of those things where you can appreciate what they're doing, but they don't seem to have really pulled it off, which is too bad. Um, the rest of the episode is great, though, and it's not, it's not bad to watch. It's just awkward. It's awkwardly blocked. It's awkwardly shot, which is too bad. But, again, the rest of the episode is great. I will do one more, um, one more thing, and then we'll go on to our brand-new old show that we're going to be talking about. we got a brand-new guest host. This is going to be exciting. And... Uh, the, the the last thing is, is the weird moment where Bruce is sent outside of the base to try to, in quotes, start the car. And then you see him climbing up the side of the building, a la, you know, Batman and Robin. You see him climbing up the side of the building, and he goes up at least two or three stories, and then he leaps through the window. And uh, let me re- let me give you, actually, I'm on, I'm on the cast here. He leaps through the window. Avery Schreiber. It's Cheryl Miller as Phoebe Snow. Owen Orr as David Frost. Mike Lawrence as newscaster, and John Elvin as Doctor Fishline. Uh, so you see, and you see Bruce leap through the window, and um, you've seen him climbing up, and then he mentions that he's at one point that he's upstairs. So he's. I mean, I would guess. Um, that he's probably on at least the third story of the building. It's tough to say. There, there is a shot of a building that we see like covered in snow uh, early on, which is a stock shot of a, like a factory kind of thing, and so that that shows like three or four stories or something like that. So he's gone. He's at least I would say on the third story. But then the weird thing is in the end, um, when Frank and Drac storm the the lab there with the console with the weather console they literally just burst through the wall so they're on the first floor in the main entrance way and you see them burst through the wall next to the door and suddenly they're in the lab with the weatherman which implies that the lab with the weatherman was on the other side of the door uh, that phoebe is phoebe snow is sitting in front of and yet it's been said that bruce is upstairs and we see Bruce going up the side of the building. So Bruce Bruce seems to go up to the third floor to wind up on a room in the first floor right next to where everyone is. So they so it doesn't make much sense cuz I mean I I guess like why would they have just shown like Bruce sneaking around the side of the building and leaping in through a ground floor window. They go out of their way to show him going up several stories, leaping in through the window and then Frank bashes through the door, bashes through the wall next to the door, and suddenly he's in the lab. 
Now, maybe my first thought was, okay, well, maybe he bashed through that wall and they went up some steps and then he bashed through another wall. But when he bashes through the wall, Drac is right there and Phoebe Snow's right there just the way we left them right before he bashed through the wall. So, no, that's some sort of weird continuity error. And then, of course, to, to add to a bit of the sloppiness or the oddness of it is when Bruce bursts through the window in a really nice shot, he lands on a pile of mattresses that aren't there a moment later. Oh, well... <laughs> But over overall, though, I don't like the Weatherman as much as I like the Skull and the Wizard and Ultra Witch, but I do quite like the Weatherman. I think we're in a lovely stretch of episodes here, and if the next two can keep up the pace, uh, then we got a hell of a show on our hands. So uh, finish up that scene of Monster Squad, uh, episode 11. Next up is the penultimate episode of Monster Squad, episode 12, which is Lawrence of Moravia. And yeah, let me let me play. I'm going to play you a little bit of. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play you what I can of the theme tune that doesn't have one of the lead characters talking over it. This is our um, brand new old show that we're beginning, episode one of our brand this brand new old show. And I'm, I will stipulate this here and I will stipulate this again. The show we're about to begin uh, discussing, we are discussing the episodes in broadcast order. As you know, as I've said, like with, with this show, for example, I think that with Monster Squad, I think that Queen Bee, the first one aired, was probably like the fifth or sixth episode made, maybe even later. And I think actually, spoiler, the next episode we're going to watch, Lawrence of Moravia, was the first episode they did. And you will see with the, the show we're about to talk about here, the episodes are definitely out of order, shown out of order from production. So now we are going to go to the first episode broadcast of this show. This tall brunette, born with a silver spoon in her mouth, was Private Eye Raymond Dashiell Caulfield's first wife. This streetwise blonde and I have only two things in common. We were both married to the same man, and we both divorced him. We met for the first time at his funeral. Are you ready for this? He left us his mansion, mortgage to the hilt, and the Caulfield Detective Agency. And how do we manage? We call the cops a lot. you're not sure uh, what the show is and who that was that was um the introduction to partners in crime the linda carter lonnie anderson 1984 i don't think it went into 85 um sort of detective show uh in the in the opening credits it says it's created by james stark who i'm not terribly familiar with and leonard stern who i am terribly familiar with and i think i talk about him a bit in the upcoming discussion that we're having here but of course, Leonard Stern, uh, Honeymooners Get Smart, uh, um, 
McMillan and wife, uh, Snoop Sisters, which this show kind of resembles somewhat. Um, uh, although, oddly enough, on Wikipedia, they say that the show was created by William Driscoll, and William Driscoll is, writes the teleplay on this episode, story by uh, Robert Van Skoik, teleplay by Bill Driscoll, directed by Sigmund Newfield Jr. Uh, we are talking about today episode... Not the first episode of uh, Partisan Crime, because Partisan Crime had a two-hour pilot, and we'll go into this during the discussion. For some reason, the two-hour pilot wasn't shown for quite some time, and we're going in broadcast order. You remember we did this on Erie, Indiana, where we left out that Haunted Record episode, which is clearly out of place by time Amy the Conqueror and I talked about it. But the first episode of Partisan Crime that aired is this episode. I gave you the writer already. It's called Celebrity. Uh, it's guest stars Vanessa Williams, aired September 22nd, 1984. And basically, it's um, our two main characters, uh, Sydney, who is Lonnie Anderson. I think I forget her last name. Sydney Kovac and Carol Stanwyck, who is Linda Carter. They have a detective agency. You heard a bit of uh, what they're about in the opening credits there. And we'll find out more when we get to the pilot in a few episodes. But they are two detectives. They live in Pacific Heights in San Francisco. And they are basically hired to protect a, uh, a singer, Vanessa Williams, from a crazy stalker played by Billy Drago, and uh, and that that's the episode. And we, we this is going to be a long discussion. This is one of the the longer discussions we've done on an episode. And you're going to enjoy this guest host when you hear from him. I'm going to play a little blast of the music from Partisan Crime for you, and then the two of us on the other side talking Lonnie, Linda. Vanessa celebrities. Here we go. Partners in Crime celebrity, the first episode that aired of this uh, this show with as 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 you heard there in the credits with uh, Linda Carter and, and Lonnie Anderson as two detectives, uh, uh, Carol and Sydney out there solving cases, doing all kinds of great things. And and as I said, this is this is the, the first one that aired. And I, I'm making a very specific point when I say the first one that aired because that will probably come up later on. But I, I want to introduce you to our new uh, guest host. He's a good guy. He's Commodore Stan Peel. Stan, how are you? Oh my gosh, I'm fine, Dan. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm excited to have you on the show. We've, um, uh, I, I'm a fan of your your Wonder Woman podcast. I am. Thank you. You, I, you, 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 and you also you've written many times into like Made for TV Mayhem show. And uh, like Amanda always says, when Stan sends it a comment, he usually says in one minute what it takes her and I and Nate like an hour and a half to say. So this may be a very short segment, everyone. So don't. <laughs> You know, don't She's get up. Kind. Yeah. How are you? My gosh, I'm I'm nervous. You're a celebrity, Dan. <laughs> this, 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 this is this is going to be fun because I um this was a show that I had. I think maybe Amanda a long time ago said to me, "Did you know that Lonnie Anderson and uh, Linda Carter were detectives together in a show?" And I said, "Please tell me it bombed." And she said, "Yes." And I said, "Cool," because that means I can cover it on eventually Super Train. Yes. And we would have we would have all heard of it, right? I mean, if there had been like a four or five or six season long show with them, we would have heard absolutely. It. Yeah. So um, what what uh, what's uh, so 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 we got Stan and, and Stan? Do you, do you, would you like to um uh, uh sort of introduce yourselves to uh, the listeners? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm uh, five foot four. I like <laughs> long walks on the beach, and uh, I'm a I'm a first time caller, long time listener. <laughs> it's true, all true, all true. <laughs> uh, so, so with um, so with partners in crime, 
do you do you have a do you have a history uh, with it? Did you uh, watch it when it originally aired, or or are you like me, which may give away what my story is going to be, um, a, a newcomer to the land of uh, Carol and Sydney? I I may give that away because I I absolutely never heard of it. I, oh my. I, okay. I mean not not uh, not certainly not at the time that it was broadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I I heard about it probably. I mean, I think I've heard of it. Like, it wasn't surprising when I found it in the IMDb while I was working on my uh, Wonder Woman podcast. Oh, of course. I, I, I saw, you know, that, that she had started this show with Lonnie Anderson, and she had done 13 episodes, and I'm like, that looks fascinating. <laughs> uh, but I'd never, I'd never seen it, and I, I really didn't know much about it. Um, but I knew I wanted to find out more. Yeah. For sure, yeah, and we're gonna and we're gonna we're gonna be covering as you know in great detail, everybody. So yeah. so th- this, this should be fun. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I like I said, I think I I already said this. I'm just gonna edit in what I said earlier. Okay. Amanda mentioned it on a thing, and then uh, Stan said, "Hey, we should cover it." All right, that's that's my thing with it. Yeah, which that... was weird because I was I I had thought about. Um, you know, I, I think I wrote to you about it, and mm-hmm. the next day I was listening to that Made for TV Mayhem, and mm-hmm. she mentioned it, and I'm like, yes. "Oh yeah, <laughs> that could have that could have been it." Yeah, that was because <laughs> I know we had an episode there that we recorded months ago, and it was mm-hmm. just kind of sit, and so Partners of Crime was kind of sitting as my in my head as one to possibly cover. I think I think it was. Um, on, on, with shows like this, unless I know, for example, like like right now in the show we're doing Monster Squad and Max Headroom. Uh-huh. And Monster Squad, you know, I have on DVD. Max Headroom is on DVD. But so like Partner in Crime, until I, uh, until I get someone that I can, I can, I can uh, uh, record it with and do the segments with, I don't like to look to see if they're available if I don't know, because I don't like to be let down until the last moment. Right, right. So you know, I like to get excited. And is it there? No, it's not. Okay, we'll find something else. Or we do. But luckily, at the moment. The, the episodes are, are are available online, and, and someone very kindly put them all up. As far yeah. as I know, all 13 are up. So um, as long as they st- – I mean, you may be hearing a lot less from Stan if someone takes them down. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because I have not been able to find the DVD. Yes, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, you figured it would be one of those shows – I mean, around this time period, like – I, you know, I have DVDRs of a Masquerade, which Amanda and I covered. I have DVDRs of um, Black's Magic, the mm-hmm. super fun Hal Linda and Harry Morgan show. Um, but but this one is you think you think this would be like a because uh, the 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 ones that that are on on YouTube look really good. Yeah, they, they yeah. look darn good. I mean, they look like someone really kept them in a nice place. Whereas some of these from that time period look like junk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so here's here's where we're going to start. Here, um, one of the things that Stan does on uh, the Wonder Woman podcast is he he gives us the uh, the uh, sort of cultural skinny, the pop culture, um, uh, um, a pop culture burst and cultural burst for around when the episode aired. So we're in September. As I've said this before already in in the breakdown, but September twenty second, nineteen eighty four, and I'm going to let Stan take us on a little journey right back on. in time. Yeah. And uh, by gosh, Dan, if this gets too long, you know, just cut it down. Cut it down for <laughs> broadcast. Uh, and that was Stan, everyone, talking <laughs> pop culture. I am kidding, of course. No, go for it, Stan. It's, I, I, I want to hear it. Okay, so uh, first of all, uh, the news, in you know, general news, um, in at the end of 83, the, the beginning of 1984, Apple had this uh, ad that came out that a lot of people still remember. It's the 1984 ad. It, it kind of 
introduced uh, Apple computers to uh, you know to most of the populace, and it was it was this sort of Big Brother takeoff. Uh, Ridley Scott directed it, and it was like a one minute commercial, or maybe it was a two minute commercial. It was a long commercial, but it was super cool. It was based on Big Brother. That came out right at the beginning of the year. Um, also, uh, in 1984, actually starting in 1983 and through 1985, there was a, a horrible famine in Ethiopia. Uh, it intensified during 1984, and, and you know at least a million people were dead by the end of the year. So uh, that obviously sucked. Uh, also, on, on negative news, crack cocaine was introduced in L.A. Oh. And, and spread across the U.S., uh, you know, and you know, became known as the crack epi epidemic that started in 84. Uh, on a lighter note, uh, Chrysler Corporation introduced the first minivans. Uh, oh. So you started seeing those in 1984, the Town and Country, Dodge Caravan, Plymouth Voyager. Uh, in February, the Winter Olympics were in Sarajevo, Yugoslavia. Uh, in June, an F5 tornado nearly destroyed the town of Barneville, Wisconsin. And I remember that because I was living in Wisconsin. I don't know if oh, it was. Wow. It looks like it was national news. Uh, but there was uh, like $25 million in damage. It was enormous. Um, also that year, speaking of Chrysler, John DeLorean was acquitted on eight charges of possessing and distributing cocaine. I think that ended his tenure at Chrysler Corporation. Uh, he, was, he was the owner of Chrysler at the time. Um, he could have got out there sooner if he had known about crack. Well, no kidding. Yeah. He could, he could have jumped the trend. <laughs> um, half, half a million people in Manila demonstrated against the regime of Ferdinand Marcos. I remember that yes. because, like, for some reason, Amelda Marcos's shoes were yes. a thing. Mm -hmm. Like, people were upset about how many shoes she had. Uh, but anyway, that was, that was, like, an indication of, like, how, uh, you know, how, how much money they were hoarding. Yes. Yeah. Um, also, the space shuttle Discovery took off on its maiden voyage um, in August, and specifically in September, Amadeus premiered, David Bowie wins the MTV uh, Video Music Award for China Girl, uh, Miami Vice premiered, uh, Cosby Show premieres, uh, so both of those great shows happened, uh, you know, started in 84. Um, the Emmy Awards were, uh, uh, some of those went to Hill Street Blues, Cheers, John Ritter, and Tyne Daly. And also in September 84, Liz Taylor goes into rehab. Um, in October, The Terminator premieres, uh, the first Terminator movie. Um, in October also, um, uh, Indira Gandhi was assassinated. And in November, uh, Ronald Reagan wins his re-election uh, ah. and he beat Walter Mondale he, the electoral votes uh, uh, Reagan got 49 states uh, poor, <laughs> Jeez, poor, I didn't... yeah poor Walter Mondale got wow. his home state of Minnesota that was he got that wow. and the District of Columbia that was it Reagan took everything else wow so yeah that was a that was a bloodbath <laughs> um, also in November, uh, Band-Aid, led by Bob Geldof, uh, records Do They Know It's Christmas to raise money for famine in Ethiopia. And uh, in December of that year, Bernie Getz uh, shoots four African-American youths on the subway, Barry Allen, Troy Canty, uh, James Ramser, and Daryl Cavey, and it starts a national debate 
on urban crime and uh, gun violence. Um, in the movies, this is what the box office looked like in September oh, nice, of 84. Nice. Uh, I won't give you all the top 20, but here are some highlights. Ninja 3, The Domination. Give me my Lucinda Dickey. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, Chud uh, was, was up there. That was number 15. Uh, Dreamscape was out. Uh, Indiana Jones was still doing well. Some of these are, are summer blockbusters that are still going strong. Red Dawn, Bolero. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Uh, Gremlins, All of Me, Revenge of the Nerds, uh, Karate Kid, Purple Rain, and number one. Can you guess, Dan, what number one was oh, about? Oh, 1984. God. Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, that was a very good guess, but uh, it was Ghostbusters. Oh, sure. Yes. Mm, of course, um, of course. And very quickly, uh, let me roll through some of the top songs that were on the radio. Uh, Strut by Sheena Easton. Flesh for Fantasy, Billy Idol. On the Dark Side from Eddie and the Cruisers. I'm so excited, the Pointer Sisters. When Doves Cry from Prince. Uh, Caribbean Queen from Billy Ocean. We're Not Gonna Take It by Twisted Sister. Uh, Sunglasses at Night by Corey Hart. Lucky Star by Madonna. Ghostbusters, of course, by Ray Parker Jr. Stuck on You from Lionel Richie. Cover Me, Bruce Springsteen. Cruel Summer by Bananarama. I Just Called to Say I Love You by the great Stevie Wonder. The Glamorous Life by the incredible Sheila E., one of my favorites. I believe I had a poster. Uh, the Warrior by nice. Scan <laughs> Scandal uh, with Patti Smith. Uh, if This Is It, Huey Lewis and the News. Drive by The Cars. What's Love Got to Do With It, Tina Turner. Shibat by Cindy Lauper. Let's Go Crazy by Prince and the Revolution. And number one, uh, the week hmm. of September 22nd, 1984. Something from Thriller. You would think. Like, it's not <laughs> I, even I, in the top 40, and I don't uh, understand why. Uh, but it's Missing You by John Waits. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I would not have guessed that. I could sing yeah. some of it. I'm not going to, but, uh, I, <laughs> right. uh, but wow. wow. Yeah. And and so just on a personal note, uh, I, if you want to know the world of Stan Peel in 1984. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. I, I, was, uh, I was starting my senior year in high school. Oh, nice. And I had... A, a terrible relationship with a girlfriend that I couldn't get out of <laughs> because she was very mean to me, but she was a beautiful pom-pom girl and I didn't oh, want to break up happens. with her. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and I also got fired from my first job. Uh, oh, I worked wow. for, I think two weeks as a bus boy in August. So. <laughs> I, I was a bus boy once. I did not uh, at an Italian restaurant. I didn't, did not enjoy it. Yeah. I've, I've, I have not been a bus boy since then. <laughs> That's what I try to keep away from. Yes, as bad as it might get. No, no, no. Uh, oh, what was that? It was that all? That was it. That I was mean, that was all. That was wonderful. Yeah. What? What? What were you doing? Uh, oh, thank you. Thank oh, you. I was. Um, let's see. I was. I was. I was um, in. Ooh, I, <laughs> I was in sixth grade. Okay. Um, I was going to St. Margaret Mary School. Uh, let's see. Um, September of eighty four. Now, now, I, 80, 1984 through nineteen eighty seven were my big TV years. Um, now, now, you may be saying, "The Dan, why did you watch Partners in Crime?" I didn't watch a lot of hour long TV. 
Right. I watch sitcoms. I watch half hour stuff. Um, and and but but during basically the eighty four eighty five season to the eighty six eighty seven season, I watched almost every sitcom that was on. So there are from, from the 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 big ones that were on to like <coughs> Cosby Family Ties, Cheers, things like that. Right. To ones like you know Life with Lucy and the Charmings, mm-hmm. and and and. Oh, Alf was on, I believe, in this time period too. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I remember I was uh, yeah going to Saint Margaret Mary School, uh, nineteen eighty four. My uh, September, my mom was getting remarried to my stepdad, who passed away um, oh. about two years ago, uh, and uh, they got married in February of eighty five. So I think they were beginning to plan the wedding and such, and we were. I was moving out of the home that I grew up in uh, in the summer of eighty five, but but in September of eighty four, everything was relatively calm. So that was nice. So, um, and uh, I was trying to think. I, I was watching a lot of MTV. We mm-hmm. did go to see Ghostbusters. Did Beverly Hills Cop come out in '84? I feel like it did. Yeah, so I, do I. I'm maybe later in the year. Yeah, maybe it wasn't a. That's weird that it wasn't a summer movie though. Yeah, because I remember I t- I've told this story many times before, and I'm gonna tell it one more time, and then we'll get back on track. Mm-hmm. Is the um, actually two two quick stories. Um, the uh, the Beverly Hills Cop story. And you, if you've listened to stuff here, I think you probably heard this, Stan. But it's um, my step not not my not yet my stepdad say who loved Eddie Murphy, and I did too. And he said, "Well, uh, Mary, my mom, I'm gonna take uh, Danny and Lorraine, my sister, to see Beverly Hills Cop." And she said, "Well, I'll come along." And he said, "Well, you might not want to, Mary." Oh, that's fine. I don't know. I, I you know I I think that Eddie Murphy swears too much, but it'll be fine as long as he doesn't swear too much in this movie. Uh, I, I'm I'm okay with them seeing it and uh-huh. we sat down i don't know if you've seen beverly hills cop but it opens up with a scene where he's pretending to be like a cigarette smuggler guy oh, yeah. and he i think he uses the f word like 16 times in the first minute and a half and literally before the first minute of the movie was done my mom grabbed my shoulder and said come on we're going and it was a packed theater the theater was full and she she started to drag me my sister out my my stepdad had to kind of like stand in the aisle and be like mary sit him down they'll be fine they've already heard him say it like 10 times and they're fine you're the one that's going crazy. Just sit down. She's like, okay, okay. And like every time she heard it, I could feel her like flinch and like look over at us like we were going to do something crazy or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but we knew from that point on, if we went to see a movie like that, we just went with my stepdad because he would, he would, we'd see anything with us, but she was. Right. Yeah. Right. And well, then the. Oh, I was going to say you had two stories. With, oh, yes. The, the oh, the, the other one was actually with the Winter Olympics. And this, this actually, um, uh, as. When I, I I don't know if we sh- I don't know if we should talk about this element of the show in this episode or several episodes down the line. We'll see how we get. But this is a sort of portend for that. In that, pardon me. Um, when the Winter Olympics aired, the BBC in February or March of '84, I forget which, they had two weeks set aside for Olympics coverage, and during the and the twenty second season of Doctor Who, the last one to Peter Davison, the fifth Doctor, was airing at that time. They were airing two episodes a week. And the Daleks, the big one of the big, big villains on the show, hadn't had a regular hadn't had a story of their own in like four or five years, Destiny of the Daleks in nineteen seventy nine. And whenever the Daleks were on, ratings were huge. And they had a dialect story and they were promoting it in the Radio Times and all over the place. It was called uh, Resurrection of the Dialects. It was going to be big and it was four episodes and they were going to have two episodes one week, because like I said, it was on twice a week, and then two episodes the next week and they were all set to show they were like a week or so away from showing the the first two episodes when the bbc announced if you know the way the bbc announces schedules they're pretty pretty vague 
about things. They tend to announce stuff almost at the last minute. And they basically said, like, uh, okay, well, um, th these two weeks in the middle of March, nothing but Olympics. And the producer of Doctor Who, John Nathan Turner, said, uh, that first week is when we're showing the third and fourth parts of our dialect story. So you're going to show the first two parts and then make everyone wait three weeks to see the rest of it. No, you're not going to do that. And what they actually did was they took the first two parts, edited into one, three and four, edited into one, and they showed them the week before the Olympics. Uh, now, I know what you're saying. Dan, what does that have to do with anything? First, I think it's, I think it's a fun pop culture thing. Yeah. Um, that, that, and, and the fact that they were able to actually, like, um, do that, like at the last minute, say, okay, well, we'll clear 50 minutes for you instead of 25, and you edit them together, and someone's running around editing episodes together in the last minute and working around the Olympics and stuff. And also, it may have, it, it may, probably doesn't, but it might, it might come up again when we discuss something later on in this episode or three or four episodes down the line. I won't say what it is, but we'll probably mention it in a moment. Now, I'm going to stop and say, Stan, Partners in Crime, Celebrity. Now we're here. Yes. You've watched the episode. Give me your basic thoughts on it, and then we'll go into details after I give you mine. Um, I thought it was, I'm going to say delightful. I, I will not go so far as to say it was great television, um, but it was mighty good television. Mm. And, uh, and a lot of that has to do with the strength of uh, Lonnie Anderson, Linda Carter, and Vanessa Williams, and yes. how fantastic they look. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's a, a large element of the show, and the people who made the show knew it, and I, mm -hmm. I think it's, um, it's executed very well. Yeah, because this, I mean, this is the time when a dynasty is beginning to edge out Dallas in the ratings. It only did it briefly, but mm -hmm. it did. And, and the thing with Dynasty compared to Dyn uh, Dallas was Dynasty, which oddly enough is the one of the two I watched when I was a kid. Now, as a grown-up, I watched Dallas, but I, I um, but when I was a kid, for some reason, I watched Dynasty and Dynasty Two, the Colbys. But um, but Dynasty was all about the flash and the glitter and just good-looking people dressing to the nines and looking good. And that was one of the things that, like, you could sit there and watch an episode and not remember what happened, but think, God, that guy looked good. Yeah. Or, wow, she was hot. She looked fantastic. And that's that's kind of what this is. You know, you when the episode was over, I, I, I was lucky I wrote down notes because mm -hmm. all I could remember was Vanessa Williams does a few numbers. Yeah. Lonnie Anderson plays the bass. Right. <laughs> um, uh, Linda Carter wears some great outfits. Lonnie right. Anderson, you know, looks they all look great. I, I, I just want to sort of supplement this. When I say, you know, how beautiful they are, um, all three of them are really uh, sort of, you know, bright, wonderful, seemingly very kind people. And I know that sounds goofy, but that has a lot to do... I mean, that's one of the reasons I love Linda Carter in Wonder Woman, is that she's she's not only beautiful, but she is incredibly kind. Yes. And, and that is sort of, you know, that sort of permeates everything she does. Mm -hmm. And I got that sense definitely from Vanessa Williams. And and most of the time from Lonnie Anderson. She, and, and it's not that I think she's mean, but she's also, she's got a really com nice comedic edge that, yes. I, that I think, unfortunately, Linda Carter doesn't have. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, you know, I was going to mention that's right. a, there's some odd, some moments that are, yeah. But, uh, but so, so, you know, they're, I mean, it's not just that they're physically beautiful, but they, mm. they are, they're wonderful and delightful and, I, I think they give a light touch to what they do, so that's that's part of what I'm talking about. It's they're, they're, yeah, they're very charismatic, 
and you can just feel like when the two of them are talking together, and then when Vanessa Williams is talking, about, there's so much like charisma and charm on screen. It's it's like if anyone else shows up, they, apart from Billy Draco, if anyone else shows up, they're kind of like shunted off to one. You almost have to kind of like it's like the light shining over here. And you got to kind of focus in, like, so, oh, there's someone else. There's someone talking to them because they're just so they're so charming. And they, um, I do, I will say the the one thing with the show is I I, I do kind of wish they done their their characters are more like I, I thought at the very first episode I thought I really I, I really enjoyed that. Like you said, it's not great. I mean, the mystery is nothing to write home about, and the way it's resolved is basically. You know, Sydney Lonnie Anderson's character backs up her car, yeah, and that's that's the big climax of it. Right. It's so so it's not so when when that happens, you're like that's the ending. Yeah. And I mean, but but it is clever because then as the bad guy's running away and he runs by Linda Carter, uh, her character yells out, "That man stole my purse!" And so all the guys turn, see, "Oh my gosh, look at this beautiful woman who's yelling that! I want to grab that!" So they all grab him. Right. So right. and I thought, perfect, perfect. Um, but the the one thing I thought when I got at the end. Uh, when I got near the end, is that I would have actually liked it if instead of their characters being so like, and they they don't overdo it. Well, occasionally they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but like like Carol is born with a, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, and she's very much like um, sort of uh, let's let's play let's play a game of tennis in the next episode. Let's play some tennis. Let's do this. And and Lonnie Anderson, she grew up on the street, and yes. she's tough. And I, I I guess she is right. I guess she is. I mean, I guess her her care. The great thing about her character from WKRP is you thought you knew her when you sort of looked at her, but then as the show went along, you realized that. She contained multitudes, as it were. There were other things going on, and she right. like was kind of one of the characters who had like kind of the most going on, but not right there. Yeah, and yeah. and so there's something when you watch them that's very um, uh, I I, I like that, but I almost sort of thought, and I, I I don't I don't mean to sound like a jerk or anything, but I thought wouldn't it have been more fun if the they were more like like Mrs. King from Scarecrow, Mrs. King, or like Kate Nally or something, yeah. just two yeah. two you know not not like tough streetwise girl who knows mobsters and the super rich girl what if they were just regular regular people you know not just just i i I almost thought that would have been more fun because it would have played sort of off a type a bit kind of and and but but it did they didn't they went high concept and and i feel like you know part of you know whoever produced this show uh what uh i had had his name written down william haskell or william oh yes driscoll Driscoll, producer I I feel like you know it's not only it wasn't enough that they were beautiful they had to be in incredible fashion like in yes. every scene like mm-hmm. everything they wear is just yeah. amazing yeah. it's fantastic <laughs> if I knew more about fashion I I talk more about it but I can <laughs> yeah. at least I from where I'm sitting I can tell that's good fashion I, there's <laughs> yeah it's it's sort of it's it's kind of nice because. Um, they're they're they've they've got such a, a charm and they work so uh, well together that it does make you forget occasionally that there's not really much going on and that quite a bit of the episode is Vanessa Williams doing musical numbers where she's she's doing a lot of dance moves but there are no real dancers near her so no. she ends up looking a little strange I love Vanessa Williams but but there's just like some of the dance where she's singing and then all of a sudden she starts and Stan can't see me because my webcam's not working but I'm doing all sorts of moves right here you know and she's going out here yeah. and she, but she's like in the middle of the stage doing it so you right. know if, right. if you could you could imagine like Pick, pick, like, like, I, actually, I was going to say, like, maybe Whitney Houston at the time or something like that. Or, or oh, right. Madonna, well, no, Madonna used to, but Madonna always has, like, dancers and stuff around here. This was just, like, her, yeah. like, 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 almost like, like, you know how they used to say, like, when, uh, 
um, Thelonious Monk would really get in the groove of a song. He would get up and start dancing while they were playing live on stage. Oh wow! Like if yeah. The, if the, so if he was if he was doing the backup for the sax and he really got into it, he'd just get up and start dancing. That's almost kind of what this reminded me of. Like she's singing her own song and suddenly he's like, "I can't stop." Whoa! Hey, mm-hmm. look at me now. Ends <laughs> up looking a little weird. And so, there, there is a there is a bit of a feeling to me that um, we got Vanessa Williams. Um, this and we could talk about what happened with Vanessa Williams around this time in a minute. But we got Vanessa Williams, who was uh, was she Miss America or Miss Universe? I forget Miss, Miss America. America. Miss yeah. America. She was Miss America at the at the time that this was made, and um, so so this is this is this is this is big. This this is big to have her on there. So giving her the musical numbers to do makes sense, but it also does it also does slow down a story that doesn't really have much going on, apart yeah. from Billy Drago being weird. And I. Maybe, you know, I don't want to, like, spend a lot of time, like, picking on a poor show that has, oh, sure you know, has, yeah. has its own challenges. But <laughs> I, I have a particular sort of pet peeve about musical numbers in shows mm-hmm. because they're, they're so often handled so poorly. Mm-hmm. And I did feel like they almost had it. They almost had it in this um, episode and partly because she's a, an actual singer yeah and and the setup for the first rehearsal was a little bit goofy because suddenly Linda Carter and Lonnie Anderson are thrown into it and Lonnie's yeah. playing that bass and <laughs> but she but, brought the upright bass she, she, with, she brought the wrong bass are you really a bass player but she's she, she played with Elvis back at Sun <laughs> well that's all right mama yeah but in the in the concert towards the end, um, you know she they did like one of the one of the things I hate the most. She suddenly <laughs> comes out and she's singing without a microphone, oh, and yeah, and yeah. there's I I was trying to make allowances. I'm like, is there maybe like is there a boom over her head that we can't see? Is does she have a body mic on? But none of that was the case because halfway through the song, she suddenly found a microphone. And started using it, and I'm like, yeah. "Oh, if only you had used that earlier yeah. in the song, <laughs> it's, yeah. the audience would hear you." It's yeah, oh yeah, that that kind of shows that that's like when they do um, when they when they they're pretending to shoot scenes of a TV show or movies within a TV show or movie, oh, and right. they show all sorts of cuts and things, but then it's implied that there's just one camera looking at it, and you're like, "What? <laughs> how does the, how, that doesn't work like that?" Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, it's. It's 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 an interesting episode because I I um I, I sort of one of one of the things I noticed doing a covering talking about a lot of shows is that a lot of times the um and we'll, we we'll talk for a minute about the pilot because mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's uh, that's that's something I found interesting when you mentioned that to me because I uh, well I, I'm I'm going to not talk about one thing until I finish talking about the first thing. Gotcha. The, and the first thing I was talking about is that I, I sometimes Monster Squad, which I'm talking about right now, is a good example. The first episode of that one, Queen Bee with Alice Ghostly, mm-hmm. where the monsters go after. Um, uh, killer bees who want to take over the world and they're all giant human sized and everything um, it's a good episode it's not a great episode but in the episode they sort of do everything that the monster squad does they do it better in later episodes but they sort of parse it out across the episodes yeah. and so in this one you kind of get 
then you get the fashions, you get them sneaking around, you get a little bit of action, you get a creepy villain, you get the kind of, you know, a lot of stuff that the show presumably is going to be doing. It's it's not the best story, but um, it does give you, I mean, you know, you could watch Lonnie and Linda and then Vanessa all day, you know, right. and maybe some of us have. <laughs> and and you know, it's not a judgment. That's not a judgment because I'll be doing that soon. Right. Um, so, um, but but it's so so it's kind of interesting to me. When I got to the end of the episode, I thought I enjoyed that, but that mystery really wasn't up to much, was it? It has one sort of little moment where you're like, wait a minute, but right. it's kind of. I don't know if we should ruin it or not. I, we might, uh, but but there's sort of one moment where you're like, wait a minute, how could, exactly. huh? And, yeah. the, and, then you, and then you're watching it and you're like, but did I, but is that, am I, am I right in thinking what I'm thinking or am I, and then you find out later that and this is not going to make any sense to you unless you've seen the episode. If you have seen the episode, you'll know that there's a moment where something happens and your first thought is, how can that be? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then my second thought was, well, maybe because of this, but really you're supposed to be thinking, how can that be? Right. And and so it had to be slightly explained later on by Carol how that sort of was and everything. If that what you're saying, you know, Dan, you're not making any sense. Not making perfect sense. <laughs> be good. Be good. Because yeah. we might we might spoil it right at the end. What I'm talking about. We might. But uh, yeah. So uh, I'm sorry, Stan. I think I cut you off about eight times. Oh no, that's uh, that's fine. I'm I'm simply enjoying your your breakdown of this <laughs> fantastic episode. I, I'm still I'm like I'm looking at my notes. And I got to tell you, what I'm stuck on is Gary's jacket. And if <laughs> and if you've seen the episode, you know that uh-huh. because this this is one of those things from the era that mm-hmm. completely came back to me. I was like, oh my god, I remember desperately wanting to look that cool in a jacket, <laughs> and I never could because I'm a small round guy. <laughs> and. and and the jacket, the 80s jacket, if you don't know, it's, it's like, you know, you, you have a regular sort of business-looking jacket, but it's got a thin collar, and you flip up the collar, mm. and you push up those sleeves. Yes. And, and that really only works with, like, lanky guys. Yes. I mean, it can work with most people, but definitely not a, a round guy like me. <laughs> so I could never look as cool as Gary, and for all Gary's problems, mm-hmm. he really knew how to wear that jacket. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, in every scene, in fact, the jacket was sort of, you know, telling the story in a way, because when he went to the funeral of a certain character, those sleeves were pushed down. Yes. Out of respect. Yes, that's, a, that's like a flag at half mass kind that's of thing. Right. That's what we used that's to right. do. So, and we would have, you know, the army would come in and lower our sleeves. <laughs> and if you let those sleeves touch the ground, burn it. Burn it. Burn that jacket. Forget it. <laughs> Uh, so so what else about that? I'm gonna look at my notes. It's like like I mean at the, at the end of the day I think it's a very fun first episode. You get the, you get the opening credits that give you the background. Mm-hmm. Um, you you um, you get little mentions here and there of like yeah they just started doing this detective work and they just got into this house and there's this big guy who lives there and there's this uh, the mother-in-law who we I don't think we see in this she's, episode. She's not in this episode. Okay. Enough. Which which is a little weird because I think they mention her. Or I could be wrong and I remember yeah. thinking who what. And um, uh, but but it's sort of like you you can tell you you can tell 
that's you can you can sort of tell that's you can stell yes um, I'm, I'm starting to portmanteau all my words now just because it makes life easier um, but you could tell that the two that, that Sydney and Carol are, are still sort of getting to know each other and um, kind of uh, in, enjoying working together and there's a nice sort of like when they dress up as I think like maids or something and go into a hotel room at, point, at one point there's a nice yeah. screwballery to right. it right and I was just I just noticed that in my notes when you said that and and again you know I don't I don't want to like tug at an episode that's you know really reaching sometimes, but there was I, I think if I'm thinking of it correctly, there's really no reason for them to have put on that cute maid disguise, <laughs> except that it's really good TV because yeah. because if if they were busted, first of all, um, there were there were so they were breaking into Gary's you know the wearer of the jacket Gary's mm-hmm. uh, room, but he knows what they look like. So yes. if they're disguised as maids, maybe their plan was to confuse him. Like, like how maybe. can you be maids? I must Wait be going insane. Wait a minute, you're not Has he told them if that, has have they, uh, when, no, they, yeah, yeah, they, no, yeah, I was going to say, I was trying to come up with an excuse, but no, no, he knows what they look like. There's, yeah. no, there's no getaway. Like, like right at the outset, he's, he's participating in the hiring of them as detectives mm-hmm. slash, I guess, bodyguards yeah. for Vanessa Williams, but... So he knows who they are, mm-hmm. um, and if if the hotel manager shows up like he did, if they were dressed in street clothes, he would just think they belonged in that room. Yes, exactly. But because they were maids, he's <laughs> like, what are you yeah. doing? <laughs> they, 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 they overcomplicated it. Specific. I wonder if they did that. Maybe they were like, this is what detectives do. Yes. So this is what we do. That's not the. I mean, I will say this. One of the creators of the show is the great Leonard Stern, uh, and yes. Leonard Stern. I mean, I forget when his career started. We could well probably probably because he's one of if he if I see his name on something, I will watch it. He's mm-hmm. one of those guys. And I mean, he he started back a long time ago. I don't know if he started radio or whatever, but I mean, he is one of the six guys who wrote the thirty nine classic episodes of the Honeymooners. Oh wow. He he is one of the three teams. He's a, a half of one of the three teams that wrote like. 13 mm-hmm. of the episodes and then of course he was also in charge of get smart for several of his seasons including he also he wrote the um the three-part a man called smart um three three-part which ends the second season of get smart which was originally going to be the get smart movie before they canned it mm-hmm. um and he was also in charge of season four the season where max and 99 get married which is probably my favorite season mm-hmm. of the five seasons so and of course obviously uh, rock hudson is mentioned in this episode. You think Rock Hudson and and what other show did Leonard Stern create? McMillan and wife. Boom. There you go. So <laughs> so yeah. and he's and he's just um he he's just one of those names. He he's a he's a he's a very he's a very good writer. He's a very funny writer. And so when I saw his name, I, I will say when I saw his name on this, I was surprised that he didn't write the episode. Mm-hmm. Which makes which we will get to more. I keep promising that we're going to talk about a certain something, which maybe I already sort of gave away, mm-hmm. but I didn't quite. I'm trying to be as vague as I can, <laughs> so I'm just confusing everyone. But we're going to talk about this in a minute because I'm going to ask Stan what else he has on this. Then we're going to mention the the weird thing about the broadcast of this episode. Um, I do have a note that that um is uh maybe I saw something that you didn't see. Mm. Um, or vice versa, but it's counter to what you've mentioned. In this episode, as as far as I could tell, they did not do the voiceover during the opening credits. Did it, was it the voiceover? 
I could be thinking of the next episode for, for that. Did they not do that? The next you know what? episode, they put it back in. They do. Okay, that's in there. Okay. But in this one, like, weirdly, you know, especially since... And maybe this is because it was it was the first episode. Maybe they thought mm. they didn't need it. Because, yeah. because Lonnie Anderson has a couple of lines that sort of cover the content of that What's voiceover. Yeah. Um, when she's first talking to Vanessa as kind of a, a little slightly clumsy exposition of yes, who they yeah. are. And, um, but, but then, so maybe they added it, you know, after this episode played and people were like, well, nobody knows who they are. Yes. What's <laughs> going on here. Okay. All right. Cause I'll, I'll, I, I, um, I, I, you, you are correct. I was thinking of the, the next episode we're going to talk about. I also happened to watch at the same time. And as I was watching it and thinking about the first episode, the second episode started up immediately. It was on a playlist. Oh, really? And I heard her talking and I wrote, okay, there's the origin sort of thing that, you know, that they do. Again, in Monster Squad, they do that in Monster Squad. They kind of sort of do that in Max Headroom. They mm -hmm. kind of give you the... And they would do that a lot in shows back then. The um, the uh, When they had opening credits in shows, they would give you... Um, they would sometimes give you the background. And sometimes that was because there wasn't an origin episode. Mm -hmm. Again, Monster Squad doesn't have an episode where Walt... Um, activates his crime computer and the monsters come to life. You know, another great one, the, um, this happened a lot with Saturday morning cartoons. Mm -hmm. um, Dungeons and Dragons, the great mid-80s cartoon, you don't see the kids being zapped to the Dungeons and Dragons land. You get the setup for, in the opening credits, they say how it happened, uh -huh. and then they're there. And um, so that that's so they could show it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And they never had to worry about, like, oh, here's a first episode or something like that. They could just show episodes in any order they wanted. Right. And um, I guess it's time now to talk about, yeah, the um, the slightly confusing thing here. And that's when I looked on Wikipedia mm -hmm. at the schedule of the episodes. I was like, okay, the first one's Celebrity. I'm going to watch that. And I didn't look ahead. Right. I watched Celebrity. And then the next one sort of started up, which is, I think, like the hottest guy in the world, the hottest guy in town, something like that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's David soul. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, um, uh, but, uh, when, when I remember when I got to the end of this, I, I remember sort of thinking, huh, it's funny that it clearly has a, a backstory, but we don't, we don't really get it mm -hmm. in the episode. They just kind of vaguely mentioned it. And I thought that was a little weird. Cause this time some shows did, some shows didn't. Right. And then, and then you said to me, Stan, so are we watching the pilot first? And I said, what now? Yeah. And I suddenly realized that what is it the fourth episode? Yeah, episode fifth four. Epi the yeah. Episode four is the two-hour pilot that will introduce us to the world. It will set it will their first meeting. You'll learn about the the ex-husband and everything. Right. And I, I haven't watched it yet. Have you watched it? I did because I thought we were going to start there, and and so I watched that first. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and weirdly, it does have the opening narration. Which, okay. which I think was probably, if, if my theory is correct, they added it huh. after the fact as the fourth yeah. episode, even though yeah. they didn't need it because the whole episode explains that voiceover. Yeah, <laughs> I um, I th I think, I th I think what I'd like to do is, because uh, in my mind I've got like a half a dozen different reasons for why the heck they might have done that. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, because because this is a show that could benefit from having an opening I mean maybe may I, I don't know the way the pilot works maybe the two the two leads aren't together that much in it well, uh, maybe that's I, I have I have a notion and it's it's part of it's actually part of the news 
of that year that I I didn't mention. Oh yes, and it has yeah. it has to do with our guest star. Yes, please, please, yeah. This this is this is this is this is ladies and gentlemen. This is Stan Peel's theory about why this episode of uh, Partisan Crime was aired first rather than the pilot. Go, Stan, go. All right. So Vanessa Williams, who was born in 1963, was crowned Miss America on September 17, 1983. So about a year before this uh, broadcast, right? And um, but she is but she's crowned as Miss America. 1984 that's her title uh, because because most of her reign is going to go through 1984 but it started in September of 1983 uh, now before that in the previous year the summer of 1982 Vanessa Williams um, had completed her freshman year at Syracuse University she worked as an assistant to photographer Tom Chapel at the time um, Williams stated that uh, what Chapel said to her was that he had a concept of having two models pose nude for silhouettes, uh, basically to make different shapes and forms, and the light would be behind the model so you wouldn't see their faces. And Williams was uh, reluctant to do it. She, she really didn't want to, but, she, but he assured her nobody would, would see them, nobody would see the photographs, and even if they did, they would not be able to identify who was in the pictures. And so she went ahead and did it, uh, both of those things, of course, turned out to be a lie. In July of 1984, and that was two months before the end of her reign as Miss America, and probably, I, I didn't look it up, but probably after this episode was shot, uh, Williams learned that those photos were going to be published without her consent in a future issue of Penthouse. And she thought they had been destroyed. She had never signed a release permitting publication or use of the photos in any public format, but they were going to get published anyway. Uh, and it's worth noting that at the time the pictures were taken, she actually didn't have any aspirations to enter any pageant, but she learned that she could win scholarship money. So that's why she entered and became Miss Syracuse, then Miss New York, then uh, Miss America. Um, and as and she actually had a lot of uh, good things to say about the experience, but she did say, even before this scandal, that there were challenges because of racism, uh, not only from folks who didn't want to be represented by an African-American woman. She was the first African-American Miss America. Um, but also she got flack from the African-American, from, from some elements of the African-American population, who, as she put it, you know, thought she was too light-skinned to represent them. Um, now, in spite of all that, she uh, she loved being Miss America, but uh, when this scandal broke, because of the immense pressure from pageant officials, she resigned in July of 1984. Now, the producers of the show, uh, who, you know, basically, she, you know, she, this episode was shot thinking this is Miss America. And, you know, she was thinking, you know, this is the beginning of my career. This is her first TV credit. In IMDb, it's weird because in IMDb, there's um, there's one credit before this, but it's it's for, I think it's, it's for some kind of uh, America at the Capitol celebration, which they've been... Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they've been doing that for years and years. So mm -hmm. be, it's because it started in the 70s it's listed as her first credit but she didn't actually do that until like 2000 something okay. 
So this episode is her first TV credit, her first job. And so, you know, she thought this was going to be the beginning of that part of her career. And as far as I know, you know, as far as anybody knows, the producers thought, you know, we've got Miss America, this is going to be great. But when the scandal broke, you know, now they were looking at a resigned former Miss America embroiled in a scandal involving nude and semi-suggestive photographs. And since they weren't scheduled to premiere for another couple of months, it seems to me they had three choices. They could shelve the episode, or they could run it as planned as a regular episode, or take advantage of the scandal and run it as their first episode, like as soon as possible. So I don't know for a fact. I do have two, I have two reviews of the show that I found. And one reviewer does mention that as the motivation for this being the first episode. And I don't know where that reviewer got that information. I didn't find it anywhere. So I don't know. Yeah, that was kind of a first thought I had. You know, I was also thinking like, well, what are some other, you know, maybe someone made a mistake and they just simply scheduled the wrong episode. Maybe a few weeks out, they learned that they didn't have a two-hour time slot and they just did the, because at the beginning of this, they're acting sort of like this is probably the first regular episode after the pilot. So it's like maybe they didn't have a two-hour time slot. Okay, let's just do the first hour-long episode. Oh, it also has Vanessa Williams in it. Maybe they thought something was going to preempt it. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, Reagan seemed to be on all the time preempting my TV shows. So maybe it was something where like, we're not we're not going to show a two-hour show of Reagan's going to be talking during half of it, and people are going to miss it. Um, then, then I thought more, more sort of interestingly, what if it's meant to be some sort of storytelling thing where they're just give you know, it's like like some, something more modern where you know, like they're just just giving us a bit of the story, and gradually we're going to learn what happened. But then I see that there's the pilot which tells everything that happened three weeks later, so that's not. But that's not good. I will say, I mean, I you know. I guess I do feel like that's the reason, but but mm-hmm. to your point, I mean, it happened with so many shows where there was yeah. there was an episode that was intended to induce, introduce the characters, and somebody, a producer or somebody, said, you know, that's just not exciting enough, and yeah. and so let's let's throw in the audience, you know, into the action right away, and yeah. we can explain things later. It happened with yeah. Firefly. Uh, it happened, I learned from the great Kristen Hawes, uh, you know, it happened with, um, uh, Hawaii Five-0. Oh, wow. It, it happens with a, a lot of shows where, you know, they just, they just reshuffle them and say, well, this yeah. one, this one's good. This one's going to go first. And, and we'll sort it out later. Yeah. 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 yeah that, you know, what's the, um, there, there's the, uh, the Joseph Campbell, uh, Power of Myth special, uh, miniseries that aired on PBS. Yeah. The first one they showed was The Hero's Journey, which technically was the fourth one. Oh. But they showed The Hero's Journey because it's filled with footage from Star Wars. Right, right, right. And so if you actually, if you sit down and read the book, yeah. The Hero's Journey is chapter four. Mm-hmm. And, you know, chapter one starts off with, like, the beginning of storytelling and myth. But but they actually showed the fourth one first because it had Star Wars stuff in it. Stan, you said you had some reviews. Would you would you mind reading them, or have you memorized them? I, I have not memorized them at this time, but I'm working on it because I think this, 
at least one of these guys is a pretty good character that I want to play in the future. Uh, uh, so, so the first one is from the New York Times, John J. O'Connor. He wrote it September 29th of 84. And sorry, I'm scanning it to get to the pertinent information. Uh, uh, Partners in Crime may be the top contender. Oh, dear. Maybe the top contender for this year's Dumbest Show of the Season Award. Oh, we, <laughs> oh we know how he feels. Okay. I can't be more definite about this because what was shown last week was supposed to be a fourth episode. So he knew about that. Uh, the scheduled premiere was postponed apparently to take advantage of the recent publicity surrounding uh, the show's guest star, Vanessa Williams. Ms. Williams had to give up her Miss America title after some nude photographs of her were published in a national magazine. The incident triggered lofty public discussions on questions of exploitation, none of which seemed to have made an impression on NBC's programmers. In, <laughs> in any event, Partners in Crime... Now, well, I'll just keep reading. I, I have feelings about what this guy's saying, but... Uh, yeah. In any event, Partners in Crime stars Linda Carter, Linda Carter, formerly of Wonder Woman, and Lonnie Anderson, formerly of KRP in Cincinnati, as two offbeat detectives running an agency willed to them by the man who had been married to each of them at different times. Miss Carter and Miss Anderson are spectacularly curvaceous women, a fact that is hardly overlooked uh, in this excursion. They share, among other things, a San Francisco house, a mother-in-law, played by Eileen Eckhart, who was billed in the introductory credits but not included in the script of this episode. There you go. Uh, Miss Williams played a singer followed uh, on her tour by a threatening character in a white suit, the great Billy Drago. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, going quickly to work, Miss Carter became one of Miss Williams. Well, then she they go into the uh, the plot here, um, but uh, he says later the entire plot was evident ten minutes into the hour. Hey, it took me fifteen. I'm gonna say, come on. <laughs> Uh, but then Partners in Crime is clearly not too concerned with literary values. The overriding preoccupation is with visuals, preferably, uh, uh, preferably featuring the heroines running on high heels towards the cameras. Uh, <laughs> Ms. Carter and Ms. Anderson give the impression that they hardly know each other and who can blame them. This, um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, I think uh, he is... He is making it sound more exploitative than it is. I mean, yeah, yeah. there certainly is an element of taking advantage of their beauty, but I, I don't know. I, I think uh, I'm going to disagree. I, I feel like they're they're having fun. It doesn't look to me like they're. Um, yeah. Yeah, it isn't like sort of what happened to Vanessa Williams isn't happening to them here. Right. You know that that's you know it's. It's a, they look like they're having fun in it, and they're they're enjoying it. And um, I, I, I I do agree there with uh, it. You can tell it's at the start of the the series here because they are still clearly the characters are getting to know one another. Right. Kind of. Yeah. Still still working with one another. So. Well, they, thank you for John O'Connor's yeah. review of that thing. Yes. Yes. And there's one more. Do you have? Oh one more? yeah. I'm, I was debating whether or not to read it. Uh, it's it's you you read it. If we hate it, we'll cut it out. We'll just cut this. Yeah, what is this, fella. this is Jeffrey Coffey, and uh, I don't have the attribution. I think it was it was somewhere in Texas. Uh, here it is the um, the Fort Worth Star Telegram from 
the second of October. So I think this is the one where he he had seen a couple of episodes. Uh, October second, nineteen eighty four. Um, let's see. Sorry, I'm scanning for. Okay, so um, vehicles. The tube is full of them. Most are for travel, chasing, crashing, and blowing up. But the term also applies to TV shows that are designed specifically to as showcases for particular performers. The most conspicuous vehicle of that sort uh, among the new series is Partners in Crime, uh, NBC Saturday show that stars Lonnie Anderson and Linda Carter as private detectives. NBC can hardly be blamed for jumping at the chance to bring together two such striking visual presences in the same show. A show with either of the women alone would have produced a certain interest, but the idea of teaming Lonnie and Linda brought forth an image of even more dazzling than the sum of the two in the mind of the eye of NBC programs, uh, NBC's program department. What better way to challenge the blatant sexism of Mike Hammer and the romantic sappiness of the love boat, I'm going to disagree, uh, then by uniting the formidable appeal of Wonder Woman and WKRP's own Wonder Woman, Jennifer. Uh, the stars definitely came first, the series concept second in Partners. But on paper, at least, the premise for the series sounded promising enough as light caper outings go these days. Linda and Lonnie would play the divorced first and second wives of, you know, etc., etc. Um, the series was sold without a pilot. Oh. And I thought that was interesting. I, wow, yeah. And it could be that, I mean, I, I guess I would ask you, you, you know these things, uh, a pilot, is a pilot different from what the two-hour premiere was? I mean, if it wasn't the shown thing, to the public. The thing with the two-hour um, premiere is that, from what I saw online, it's called pilot that's right um which that's would right. imply that it's the i mean there there have been very few shows in american history um I, I i'm not quite sure how it works nowadays with like streaming shows and stuff but there are very few shows in american television history that don't have a pilot right. two two of them being petticoat junction and green acres yeah and those are very but i can't imagine that they wouldn't have a pilot i, I think what, uh, maybe that's what he means, yeah maybe what he means is that He's just talking about how they showed it. They they showed them out of sequence. True. I guess. Okay. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't know there was a there was a forthcoming pilot. Possibly. That's true. Or, but by the by the writing of this article, there wouldn't have, it wouldn't have aired yet. Okay. That that that. Because because with the show, like I mean, I I can't, as much as we love Linda Carter and Lonnie Anderson, I I can't imagine Dude, they yeah. just say, oh, give yeah, please. <laughs> Why? I mean, I, they, they, that's just not because because Petticoat Junction Green Acres were given them because of Beverly Hillbillies was so hugely popular mm -hmm. that that they just said Paul Henning give us a show then give us another show right on. and they just gave him a whole seat you know and but this I can't imagine yeah I, I really can't that doesn't that doesn't yeah. I'm gonna say sort of make sense to me uh, reviewer Jeffrey Coffee is wrong. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it sounds wrong. like it. it does sound like it yeah. um so he goes on to say uh. Uh, however, there were reports of creative problems and network dissatisfaction oh. from the outset. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I'd love to know where he heard that, but that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, three weeks into the season, the expositional segment still hasn't aired. So he knows he knows there's okay. an episode Something, that yeah, explains okay. everything. Okay. Huh. 
Um, and then he go, goes on to say again, the, the season premiered with an episode featuring the controversial deposed Miss America, Vanessa Williams, as guest star. It was a ploy designed to maximize viewership, and it worked reasonably well. Uh, but the show was pretty bad, and Saturday's <laughs> second episode with David Soul guesting as a gambling hairdresser caught up in a blackmail scheme was no better. Now, I'm going to say, you know, we haven't gotten to that episode. But, we'll be there soon. But I, I, I think these episodes are quite different in terms of the... In, yeah. in terms yes. of one's ability to be able to follow the story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, anyway, uh, he goes on to say the same kind of stuff. It, it's basically <laughs> saying, there's no story but lots of sex appeal. And uh, yeah. to an extent that's true, but again, I I, I don't think it's as purient. Purient? How do you say that pur- word? Purient. Pur- prurient. Yeah. Prurient. Prurient. It's not as purient yeah. as all that. It's, you know... Mm-hmm. And, and to at the end of the day, like like we said at the beginning, I mean that's sort of in, in the way that Dynasty wasn't just about the stories; it was about the the lavishness, it was about the the all the excess and and the, and the beautiful people doing things. Yeah, this is this is kind of like that too. That's that's it's part and parcel of what's um what's going on. You know, if you watch a nature documentary and you're pissed off that there isn't enough of a storyline about otters or something, <laughs> you're kind of watching it wrong. Right. You know, right. Uh, you know, the take, take what you, to me, it's like, and, and not the celebrity had a great story, but, yeah. um, take, take what's there. And, you know, um, and you, I, I, I think sometimes it's like, and critics do this, you know, they're, they're only human. Yeah. They, they're looking for some, they're looking for something else. They're looking for something. Else. I mean, when did, when did Remington Steele start? Because that's a very good show with some good detective stuff and things. Did that, did I, that start? I feel yet? like it was early '90s. I uh, well, let's see. Remington Steele was I just because I know Remington Steele was in the mid '80s just because. Oh, okay. It would it would have it would have been because yeah yeah no because there were four seasons and then it was canceled and. And Pierce Brosnan was going to be James Bond. Oh yeah, right on. Nineteen eighty-seven po- is what this says. That's when it okay. started. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and then he was yeah okay. Oh no, uh, um, I'm sorry. That's when it, that that's when it ended. It started in oh, okay. eighty-two. I was way off. Oh okay, because uh-huh. I was going to say a show a show like Remington Steel actually has like decent mysteries in them, and that's a pretty good mysteries and stuff. Yeah. Man. And, and partners in crime, I think, is is kind of doing something a little different. It's it's just kind of having fun, and you're watching, you know, Lonnie and Linda have a good time, and as long as they're having a good time, we're having a good time. Yes. You know? And they brought their friend Vanessa. Yes. You know, and Billy Drago, who we haven't really mentioned, he's great. Do we need to say? Oh, that? I mean, he's creepy as hell. I, you know, <laughs> it's just I, he's he's the best bad guy ever. I he constantly. And I, I could. Him. It took me the longest time to figure out where I'd first seen him, and it was Untouchables. Oh yeah, and and he was great in that, and it was a yeah, small yeah. That, was a, that was a small part too. So. Yeah, so yeah, so 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 yeah, so overall, yeah, so the Billy Drago, and I did want to mention at one point Lonnie Anderson impersonates Vanessa Williams. I'm going to leave it right <laughs> there. Right. You can take that for how you will. I don't think it's handled in um in a terrible manner, no, <laughs> but no, but but you might one might look at it today and think. Hmm. But I mean, I will say this, regardless of whether what you think of it, she does succeed. She does. She does succeed in it. So, <laughs> so the the point of her doing that is a success. So it's not if it had been a big embarrassment or it had gone wrong, then you know. But uh, and the, and the third thing is, um, um, and and I, I was actually we, we 
we took a bathroom break a moment ago, and as I was I was in there, I thought I'm 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 also kind of uh, another reason. I think your reason about Vanessa Williams being in this is the perfect one for why it went first. But I'm also wondering if like if this went first, then why not show the pilot next week? Yeah. Why why continue to show episodes that don't clue you into what's happening until like four weeks down the line? You could lose people who are like I don't get the show. I I don't get what's happening. And so my thought was, as I was um, visiting the, the little boys room a moment ago, was maybe the reason why um, they showed, like, the second, third, fourth episode and then the first one is maybe when they schedule it, everyone thought that the first one would have aired. Maybe the first one was scheduled for the week before and it got postponed or something. And It was, and it was because Reagan. Yeah, yeah, something like he that. Like, like maybe... May, Maybe the reason why, yeah, it's it's scheduled the way it's scheduled is because the pilot was supposed to air the week before, yeah. and something postponed it from airing. But they couldn't change this; they couldn't give it a two-hour time slot. Yeah, for the they didn't have a two-hour time slot for the next three weeks. They gave it the first available one, and so that's why it it looks so weird because it wasn't supposed to look weird. I'm doing like a Poirot thing or something, you know, where you're looking at something and you're going, ah, I get it now, you know, but it's like, maybe that's why it looks like that because it wasn't, because when they scheduled it, it wasn't supposed to. Yeah. And then when it happened, they were like, oh, we put Vanessa Williams first. Yeah. When really someone's in the back crying going, but where's my pilot? Yeah. And then that one guy said, you don't have a pilot. And we're sitting here years later going, what the hell? Yeah. What the hell? And I do want to say, um, you know, Vanessa Williams uh, wins. I'm going to say that. Yes. Because she yes. is a superstar yes. right now, and Bob Guccione from Penthouse is dead. So there's that. At the end of the decade, I believe her second album sells like goes triple platinum yeah. in the U.S., and that's big. So, yeah, she does. She, she has a little bit of a rough time, but then she, she takes off just fine, and everyone loves her. So. Yeah. Uh, so 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 let's wrap this one up, Stan. This one went yeah. a little long, folks. First episodes and last episodes usually go a little long. The next episode will go so fast, you won't even know it happened. Oh yeah, uh, Stan. Where can we find you online? What's going on? Tell us about your podcast. Um, yeah. So my podcast is Wonder Woman Wednesdays, and yeah. it's a breakdown of the uh, classic Linda Carter TV show. It's not necessarily centered around the the comic book. Uh, I am not a super duper comic book guy but i do love television um so it's that's what it's about and uh, you can find that and all the social media related to it on wonderwomanwednesdays.com excellent yeah thank you again for joining me and uh yeah it stands going to be here for the next 12 and uh and this is the end of this episode everyone so welcome back eventually super train for 2024 uh at eSuperTrain1 on Twitter or X or whatever it is, Eventually Supertrain on Facebook, um, eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com. You can email me at dannyslacks at yahoo.com. Be good to yourselves, everyone. Thank you again, Stan. Right on. We're out of here. Woo. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first one, and now we'll dive right in. I'm sorry this is taking longer than I expected, but oh, okay. we had a lot to go through that first episode. Yeah. So. Oh, I just saw a note that I didn't mention, but it's really stupid. 
Do, do you want to? I, I was. Do you, would you like to? Would, what? No, it's just that I I was lamenting that when when Vanessa Williams was singing, people were clapping on the one and the three, and I I just can't I can't deal. But that's fine. We don't need to talk about. That. <laughs>